Welcome to Delighting in Christ. Today, we're going to take a quick detour from the book of Galatians, and we're going to talk about how God spoke to me through His Word in Philippians 1, 9-11, and see how He showed me His grace when I didn't deserve it. May God bless you today, whether you're on the road, at work, or sitting on the couch while listening to this, probably eating your potato chips. Thank you for taking the time to press play and listen to whatever I have to say week in and week out. And if you didn't notice, the mic could sound a little bit different from last weeks or two weeks ago's episode because I'm using a different mic that my friend loaned me. So just so you know, could sound a little bit different. We're testing it out. But for the last several weeks, we have been diving into the book of Galatians. And this week, I wanted to take a little bit quick of a detour. And the reason being is because you know that on the show, I talk a lot about repentance and what it means to follow Christ. And one of the things that I sometimes lack in my teaching and my preaching is encouragement. I don't want to be a negative Nancy all the time and come on the show and point out false teaching. Uh, I think there's a lot of ministries or a lot of people that do that. You go on YouTube, you'll just see, oh, this person is a false teacher, this person, and there are. But um, the reason I've been doing that is because of the context of the book of Galatians that we've been going through. And so this week, I just wanted to take a step back and I wanted to talk about encouragement and how we as fellow believers in Christ can encourage one another. So several weeks ago, I ran my half marathon pitifully, I mind you in Joseph, Oregon. And while my family and I were there, we visited uh, my wife's old church and we went out to eat with uh, the pastor of that church and his family and we got to catch up. And I told him about the podcast and and what I was doing and asked if he could listen and give me feedback on the teaching I was teaching in the Bible. So about a week and a half ago, he messaged about about the to please man or not to please man part two. And I wanted to share it with you today because I found it incredibly encouraging and also thought provoking. And you're going to see why here, why here in a minute. And so I'll read you the text and <clears throat> we'll just dive into it. So he said, I listened to the June 6th podcast today. I'm convicted. You have a great way of bringing the truth to people. I found your analysis of the Bible to be spot on. Thank you for being faithful. You mentioned some things about God's holiness. If we don't understand it, we don't realize what it takes to save us or the need for repentance. So true. I would only add that without God's holiness in view, we don't understand His love, mercy, patience, or anything else for that matter. I also found your resistance to Pride Month very balanced. Thanks for ministering to me today. Now I'm going to take my sip of water. Because I just got something in my throat. And I'm just going to go roll with it. So I read this text 
that showing you that not how great I am or to pout myself on the back or to say how awesome I am for, you know, being faithful with the word of God, right? That's not the case at all. Listen, what is incredibly encouraging to me about this text is that this this is a pastor from a little church in Joseph, Oregon, who faithfully teaches the word of God week in and week out to his congregation. And I kid you not, when I listened to his sermon when we were up there for that weekend when I did the half marathon, his sermon alone for that hour, he had he went o- through over 30 Bible verses. He is incredibly gifted by God to teach the Word of God. And now I know it's not the greatest thing to compare ourselves to other people or to compare people to other people, but I do it for this instance. If you have ever heard one of John Piper's messages, this pastor from Joseph, Oregon, preaches in a very similar way. So all this to say is, who am I on who am I on earth that he got ministered to by me? Little old me who's been doing this for three months and who has no biblical study degree and has never preached a sermon in his life. And so when I read this text, it made me think of passages in scripture that are really quite breathtaking if you kind of think about them for a moment. And the main one that comes to my mind is Romans 1, 11 through 12. Remember, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and it's all about being justified by faith in Christ. And uh, the last part of it is how to live out that faith in the Christian life. And so he goes into the beginning of the Romans letter, and he says in verse one or chapter 1, 11 through 12, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul's mission is to see the fellow believers in Rome so that he can impart to them some spiritual gift to strengthen them. He wants to go to Rome and build them up in their faith and be with them and commune with them. But interestingly enough, I can't talk, he then says that we may mutually encourage each other in our faith, both yours and mine. So imagine this is the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote about half the New Testament. He suffered an immense amount of persecution and was imprisoned for his faith And actually, he was beheaded for his faith in the end. And I mean, and if I were, you know, someone in the church who read this in Rome at that time, I'd be like, Paul, encouraging you? Me, encouraging you who will never be heard about or spoken about in the Bible ever? I mean, I know that they didn't really... Uh, have like the Bible that we have now, but you get my point. It, it's just hearing what all of what Paul did, I couldn't imagine me encouraging him or one of the people like me encouraging him. But that is the beauty of the body of Christ is that all of us 
have different gifts to use in the church. Remember, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you because we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head over the church and the church is his body and all of us have a very different but important role to play. So don't think that it is only teachers that are important in the body of Christ. You know, don't think of them like they're kings and everyone else is just a throwaway pawn in a chess game. We all have some unique gift that God has given to us to build up the body of Christ to encourage one another. And so that's kind of what I want to do today is I want to encourage you who are listening to this who may be struggling with some things, in particular with sin. And one of my spiritual gifts is that I, I mean, I do have the gift of vulnerability, uh, though sometimes I'm not very vulnerable and I hold stuff in. But I want to be as vulnerable as I can in this episode and I want to open up about my besetting sins. And and I'm just going to give you, give you the canvas, but I'm not going to really go in depth and paint you a picture of sins, right? I'm not going to be like, well, I did this, like on this day, and, and this is how, you know, I'm not going to do that. And the reason I actually want to do this is because I, I sometimes, sometimes think that, we as Christians, we put on a face as believers. And we may feel that if we open up about our sins and what we struggle with, um, we're going to get rejected. And we're going to think that we're the only ones going through it, which is not the case in the Christian life. Every Christian, I don't care who it is, has some sort of besetting sin that they are struggling with to overcome. So my hope and goal for this week is that you don't feel that way, that you don't believe that you're the only Christian struggling with sin. You know, I believe it is a work of the enemy, whether it's Satan himself or his dominions that puts thoughts into our heads saying, you're the only one who struggles with sin. In fact, because you struggle, you're probably not a Christian. You know, I know for myself, I've had that feeling many times. And I really do have empathy for people who have those thoughts and those doubts because I have had them myself. Almost to the point um, where... I almost didn't even believe in God. I remember sitting or standing in the uh, when I was working in Alaska. I remember standing on the boat and I was struggling with stuff, and I was thinking about the existence of God. And I was sitting there, and I was in in Naknak, Alaska. And I, I tell you this. It's not beautiful at all. Nothing. It's not beautiful. Nothing. 
I mean, it's like Boise with an ocean, basically. I, sorry to pick on you Boise people, but Boise is just flat. There's no, like, barely any beautiful mountains and trees and whatever. It's just flat, desert, boring. And I was, I was standing out on the boat, and I thought, there's no way that nothing could have made this. So, so, um, so anyways, I've had those doubts. I've had those struggles uh, with sin so much that almost brought me to a point where uh, I didn't believe in Christ, didn't believe in God. And thankfully, God showed up in that moment. And, and so we're going to go and dive and talk about a little bit today about Philippians 1, 9 through 11 and why these verses mean so much to me. Because I talked a little bit about them uh, in one of my first episodes on delighting in Christ. And I said I would get to them. And now I think this is the perfect time to get to it. So... So back in 2017, I struggled with finding joy in Christ. Um, my relationship with Christ has been just up and down, up and down, as I sure am every believer has had. I mean, you look at the Psalms and you see David one moment, he's like, praise God. And the next moment, he's like, where are you? And it's just over. It's just I think faith sometimes for us is just a roller coaster ride because we have emotions and all that jazz. But I was working in a factory and basically doing repetitive stuff at times. Still do repetitive stuff. It, it, it never ends. So I do the same thing over and over and over again. And for some reason, it came to my mind to start memorizing scripture. And so I started with the book of Philippians. Because joy was mentioned 16 times in this letter to the church in Philippi. And actually, I really like the book of Philippians. Philippians is probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes. And the reason why is these two really... Um, are uh, really go hand in hand with one another. One says, uh, you know, Solomon was equated with a writing Ecclesiastes, and he said, you know, everything's meaningless. Like, I have all these things, everything's meaningless. And then at the end, he comes to and says, um, you know, but turn to God, have faith in God. Um, and so he found that all the women, all the money, all the fame, fortune, whatever, just meaningless. No joy. Then you have Philippians, and... It's Paul writing. It's not like he's has a luxury life and was sitting in Starbucks and drinking a hot cup of coffee when he wrote this. Or say he wasn't sitting in a nice little 20 square foot space sitting at a desk enjoying the nice cool summer breeze in the evening of Moscow, Idaho. No, he was in prison when he wrote this, yet he found joy in Christ despite his circumstance. He had almost absolutely no possessions except a pen and a paper and the clothes on him probably. 
And yet he found joy in Christ and found so much love for his maker and his creator. While he had Solomon and Ecclesiastes, had everything, yet possessed really nothing. And so it was imperative to me at the time to memorize this letter because I wanted that same joy in Christ regardless of where I was at in life. I wanted to have joy in Christ regardless of a job loss, regardless of having a loved one pass away, regardless of health and wealth. I wanted so badly to have joy in the living God. And you no, know, the Westminster Catechism says our ultimate aim is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever as His image bears. And here's a little test of how I know why our aim as people should be to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And it's because if you had everything stripped away from you, you broke your neck, couldn't move, couldn't talk, you couldn't physically see or hear, and your whole life was just laying in bed, and all you had were your thoughts. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever means no matter what the circumstances you are in, you worship him by praising him for who he is, even if it means you're laying in bed, laying down in bed with your thoughts the rest of your life. And that was the kind of joy I wanted in life. And so I would memorize a verse day during the work week, which would be about five verses a week. Sometimes I miss, but. I finally got down to the verse to verse 9 in Philippians 1. And I mean, I seriously, I, I read it and my faith was shaken one night. And obviously I, I said that's not the first time that sort of thing happened. So I wasn't as shaken up as I could have been, but it did shake me up to make me doubt whether I was a believer or not. So I'll read you the ver verses for you. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. These were the words that caught my attention the most so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I read that and thought, I have to be perfect. I have to, I have to prove what is excellent to be pure, to be blameless for the day of Christ. I have to be perfect, sinless, can't make mistakes. So I thought to myself, being the Christian that I am, I am nowhere near that. And that night, uh, so defeated and broken up about how imperfect I was, I sinned. Specifically, I watched pornography. 
It's been a besetting sin of mine for many years. And thankfully, by God's amazing grace, it has gotten a lot better. I remember being in college and I felt like almost every day I would sin against the Lord by committing adultery, by lusting after women on the internet. There's actually a verse in, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount that says, if your eye offends you, gouge it out, for it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to perish in hell with both eyes. Now, Christ doesn't actually literally mean uh, pluck out your eye because you can gouge out one eye and lust using the other afterward, right? But what he was saying is to take sin seriously that you do whatever you can to cast it away from you. And so my first semester... I got so fed up with the, the pornography. I mean, I read books on it, on how to defeat it, all that. And, and I just I just wanted it out of my life. So I cut my internet cord, took the, the scissors and just cut it. Got my flip phone. I actually broke my smartphone a couple of times. Threw it on the ground. There's one time I went on the uh, campus. I looked at pornography, looked at images, and I was so fed up with myself. I, I went to a place and I threw my phone and tried to break it. And uh, when I did that, there's a lady looking at me kind of weird. I was like, oh, I didn't recognize she was there. But anyways, I cut the internet cord. I uh, broke the flip phone or broke the phone, got a flip phone. I did whatever I could to gouge out that sin in my life. And so college was a hard time for me. And, you know, throughout the years, uh, thankfully my self-control has gotten better and better. And yet, not perfect. Not perfect to the standard of Christ perfection. That most certainly isn't the case. And so I was... I actually mentioned uh, this to my wife a few weeks ago that from time to time I still fall short and uh, and and sin in that area and just asked her to keep praying for me in that area. And so, you know, obviously, obviously this isn't the only sin that I've committed, right? Like lust, and like lust isn't just the be in in all. Um, I've also uh, committed other ones so uh, I got lost there I'm reading, I'm reading my thing and I just like sometimes I just get lost in a, in a train of thought so obviously this isn't the only sin that I've committed but it is one of those ones that um, that really likes to hang on to and like that really likes to hang on to me you know, I really wish this sin was like alcohol to me because I could have an Angry Orchard in the fridge for months. You know, a pack of Angry Orchard, six pack of Angry Orchard in it for months, in the fridge for months. <clears throat> and not even touch one of them. Doesn't even phase me. I don't I don't want it. 
Now, to clarify, drinking beer or Angry Orchard or a glass of wine isn't sinful, but getting drunk is. So when I have a six-pack of Angry Orchard in the fridge, I'm not tempted to get drunk on it. So I just, I don't know, I just wish my lust was like alcohol for me because then I would never have a freaking problem with it. So anyways, uh, getting back to the Philippians verses. So I thought those verses meant that you had to do do and approve everything right in your life in order to be presented as pure and blameless on the day of Christ. And like I said, that night I sinned, I watched pornography, and for a moment just kind of gave up and said, what's the point? What's, what's the point? I keep struggling with this. What's the point? What's the point? Hmm. Well, I thank God for His amazing grace. I'm so glad that God is not an all or nothing God. Meaning that when we humble ourselves and we truly repent and turn to Christ to forgive us for our sin and trust Him in faith. And then shortly after that, we, when we come to Him by faith and we sin, He doesn't just leave us and say, forget you, but He's patient with us when it comes to our sanctification. Remember, justification is all about us being reconciled to God and us being in a right standing with Him. And sanctification comes after when we have been justified, which is the process of becoming more Christ-like in our daily walk with Him. And so even though I sinned against God that night, I was still fully justified, but he didn't want me to stay there. And even though I was convicted in my sin, he showed me what those verses actually meant. He didn't have to show me what those verses actually meant. He could have just let me stay there as long as he wanted me to. And so I was sitting in the locker room that morning at um, my job. At the time, I was working day shift. Now I work swing shift. In the morning, I was sitting there just... I think I was actually on lunch, and our lunch was at like 10 a.m. I was on lunch, reading through it again, and rereading that, all of a sudden, in a single moment, God showed up. He opened my eyes to what the verses actually said, to what I thought they meant. They didn't mean to be perfect or sinless so that you'd be pure and blameless, but rather something else. I'll read it to you again. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So let's stop there. He says that your love may abound more and more. He doesn't say that your love may abound, 
but yet that it may abound more and more. You know, every week we go to the grocery store shopping and we get milk. Why? Because we don't have any, we have less of what we need. And we need more of it, right? We need more milk. So if we need more milk, means we actually have less than what we need. So Paul is saying his prayer is that their love will become more and more. It will continue to grow with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Let me ask you, what's excellent? Is approving what is excellent, is he talking about your moral goodness? Some may think, I thought that, but after reading this and after looking at the context of Philippians, I say, no, that's not what, what he's, at least the main thing, that's not what he's wanting just to approve of what is excellent. Because what Paul says two chapters later is when he talks about his moral goodness, about how he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And he said all of this, all of the, all of uh, my moral goodness, I count as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul prays to the church in Philippi is that it is prayer to the church in Philippi is that their love may abound more and more and more with knowledge of knowing Christ and that they would discern well. Because remember, there was false teaching that Paul talks about in the third chapter. And so that they can love and trust in Christ and to have faith until the end of their life without straying away from the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Because the only way that we're pure and blameless for the day of Christ is that we abide in Christ in faith. That we're saved by His grace, that we are justified by faith. That's what makes us pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And we have to ab abide in that. And it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is because of Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. So these verses are not talking about being morally good to become pure and blameless, but rather to trust in the one who was pure and blameless who lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and conquered death three days later, and rose from the dead, so that whoever turns 
from their sin and trust in Christ and by the power of God's Spirit working in the person to endure until the end will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So I went away that day filled with joy, immense amount of joy. I was just like, whoa, I finally, I mean, I didn't even research it. I mean, it's not like I was, I don't know. I, it was one of those moments where God showed up and he showed me, I hope anyways, to what it meant. And you think, wow, you probably, you know, defeated lust that day, defeated the pornographer. Nope. Wish. Nope. I still struggle with lust. I'm not saying this in, you know, in any sort of like, oh, look at me, I still struggle with lust. No, I, I hate it. I hate that I struggle with lust. I hate that I struggle from time to time with pornography. I, um, you know, I still struggle with, I mean, it, it, look, lust and, and all that, uh, it's not the be. I, I shouldn't say that. It, I mean, yes, I want to get rid of it, but there's also a lot of other sins that are, that I need to, need, need to kill through, through God's spirit, right? Not in a legalistic way, but in the sense of, uh, in the sense that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, by God's Spirit, I want to battle and fight the sin in my, in, in my life because I have been redeemed by God, not because I want to be redeemed by God. So, I still have an immense amount of pride. <clears throat> oh, my voice cracked there. I still have an immense amount of pride in wanting to be the best in Bible teaching. Seriously, um, I really, really want to like be a great Bible teacher. I want to be one of the best preachers. Like, ser- I, that, this is my sinful flesh. I mean, I want to be recognized as a John Piper figure. I want to be recognized as Martin Lloyd-Jones or R.C. Sproul or John MacArthur or Charles Spurgeon. I mean, really, that would be awesome, right? But it's not the point. The point is to teach the Bible faithfully and to love people faithfully. And so... I have pride in the area of wanting to teach the Bible real well and thinking that I have all the right answers. Uh, a lot of times I don't do what Philippians 2 asks, which is uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Trust me, I don't put others above myself a lot of the time or not as much as I should. I'm a very selfish person and... There is a verse in scripture that is downright countercultural for our culture. I mean, all all the Bible is countercultural to our culture. Right? I mean, the Bible just flips every culture on its head. But it's a it's a verse in James that says, "Be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to get angry. And I find myself so often, I, I feel like that I do the complete opposite of that. I'm slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry. You see, I'm not rem even remotely a good person, even after I've been saved. I mean, I, mean, I go up to people and, and ask, well, how do you, you know, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, I think I'm a good person, blah, 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 blah. If someone came up to me, it's like, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? By God's grace, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I'm a wretched man that's saved by God's grace. Oops. And so, if I can only ask this for my listeners, is just please pray for me. I, you know, I, I want to become more like Christ every day. I want to sin less. I mean, I cannot wait. And I mean, I cannot wait to get to heaven and just be fully God's. No more struggling with sin. No more fighting with temptation. No more falling short. I just want to know that when I drink water, right? When I eat, that's all for the glory of God and none for my selfish gain. And the reason I ask for prayer because you're thinking, well, don't you believe in once saved, always saved? Yes, I do. But I also believe that there's apostasy in the Bible, that there are people who can experience the joys of what it means to know Christ, and yet fall away from him and show that they were never really saved to begin with. And I don't, I, I don't want to be one of those people. You know, there's been so many people in the spotlight that are deconverting, that are uh, going against Christianity, that are renouncing their faith, turning away from Christ and turning to either a different gospel, turning to whatever, to a different God. And I know that without God's amazing grace, my sinful flesh would turn away from him in an instant and go to my sinful, lustful passions and embrace them fully. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. And so I just ask that you uh, to pray for me that by God's grace that I keep abiding and trusting in Christ and following him. He's my only hope. He's your only hope. And so if you're struggling with a besetting sin, remember that you are fully justified and made right with God through faith in Christ. And ask God to help you. Cry out to him. He loves you, child of God. He loves you even when you're not where even where you're at right now. If you picked up this podcast just right after watching pornography, right? Or you picked up this podcast, you started listening to it right after you committed some sort of sin, you got drunk, you whatever, 
I like whatever whatever the sin is. And you're one of those that have repented and trusted in Christ, but you struggle with these besetting sins. If you if you picked it up after you struggled with something, he loves you where you are at right now. And the amazing thing is he will not leave you there. That's amazing news of the gospel is not only that we are made right with God, but that after we are made right with God, that he will not leave us where we, we are at in our sin, that he will make us to become more like him, to love him more, to love others more. And remember when you struggle with sin to do what First John says. It's a book about all about how you can know you can have everlasting life. It says, if you, if you sin, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of sin. So confess it to him. Confession just means, I screwed up, Lord. Help me repent of this. Help me to change my ways. Help me to become more conformed to your image, to your likeness. Help me, Lord. I pray that for me. I pray that for you. And the Spirit will help you conform to the image of Christ. So be patient and please keep pursuing Christ. And, and also, I didn't put this in my notes. I should have. But find someone who you can trust to talk with these things about. Find someone you can trust in the body of Christ to confess your sins to. It's hard. It's difficult. Trust me. Even even doing it so much, sometimes I, f I feel like it's hard to uh, confess our sins to one another. So, anyways, let's pray. Father God, thank you for being a God of compassion, of patience, of grace, of mercy. Lord, we don't deserve any, any good thing on this earth. We don't deserve your righteousness. We don't deserve the water we drink. We don't deserve the food we eat. We don't deserve the, the roof over our head. We don't deserve the blankets that keep us warm. We don't deserve our animals. We don't deserve any, any good thing, God. But because you are love, you give us it freely because you're a gracious God. So thank you for being kind and patient with us and help us to grow and to become more like you because we have been, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have been forgiven of sin. And I just pray that anyone listening to this and who are exploring Christianity and the Christian life and the Christian faith and they're not a believer, Lord, I just pray that they listen to this and that they don't see a Christian, that Christians are better than anyone else. We most certainly are better off because we have a parachute. We have something that saves us, but we're not better. We're just a criminal 
saved by grace. And so I ask, Lord, that whoever is listening to this is not born again, who's not a believer, that they would come to know you, to come to see your grace and to see your mercy, and that they would repent of their sins and trust in you for the forgiveness of sins alone. Thank you for everything, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. And until next time, God willing, God bless you, and peace be with you.